Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.07 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 5th of November, 2020. This is episode 315 of Bitcoin, and we're going to start out with some Ethereum news because everybody everybody loves shitcoin news. Ethereum user spends $9,300 in fees to send up 120 <laughs> It's a typo, but it's still funny. It's only funny because it happened to a Ethereum user. Stop using the shitcoin, people. A typo on Ethereum wallet and MetaMask led to an expensive transfer for one user, and now they're asking for help. Why don't you just roll back the chain? It's not like you don't do it all the time anyway. <clears throat> An Ethereum user accidentally spent $9,300 in transaction fees to send 120 bucks. They are now calling for miners to altruistically give the money back, although there are not any requirements for them to do so. A pseudonymous account known as Proud Bitcoiner. Oh posted their experience on Reddit, posting a link to the transaction to verify it. The user, Ethereum user said uh, <clears throat> they erroneously typed in the wrong transaction fee while trading, accidentally spending 23 Ethereum. Transaction fees are paid in gas and numbered in GUI as if it couldn't be any more frickin' confusing. It's a system that could be unfamiliar and confusing to use. <clears throat> you think? Really? No. No, it's not confused. It's not a Rube Goldberg machine out there at all. Transaction was made through MetaMask, a popular in-browser Ethereum wallet, while the user was using the Uniswap exchange to swap tokens for whatever reason that you do that. It was scooped up by the mining firm Ethermine in under 30 seconds. Miners tend to prioritize transaction with higher fees. Quote, MetaMask didn't populate the gas limit field with the correct amount in my previous transaction. And that transaction failed. So I decided to change it manually in the next transaction. But instead of typing 200,000 in the gas limit input field, I wrote it on the gas price input field. So I paid 200,000 GUI for this transaction and destroyed my life. Oh, the user explained. Fund transfers on the Ethereum network require a gas fee to be inputted before any transaction. These are then paid to the miners, entities who run powerful computing machines to keep a blockchain network running. But in the case of Ethereum, not for very much longer. <laughs> a gas limit is the maximum amount of gas that a user is willing to pay per transaction, while the gas price is the amount <coughs> of GUI a user can spend on each unit of gas. Okay, well, together, the limit and price combined to set the fees per transaction on the Ethereum network and change continuously based on network demand and activity, hence the confusion for reference data from trafficking site, or sorry, tracking site, ETH gas station, shows that Ethereum fees are currently quoted at only around 24 to 33 GUI per transaction, 
a fraction of what proud Bitcoiner ended up paying to Ethermine yesterday. Meanwhile, the user is now trying to get some of the lost fees back. Quote, I contacted Ethermind on Twitter. I contacted their CEO, Peter Pratcher, on Twitter. I made this post here. I'm out of ideas, they said in a post. Ethermine, on its part, has not yet responded to requests made by the Reddit users <clears throat> user, and are not obliged to. Any typos during crypto transactions are final in nature, and miners would only hand their earnings back if they want to do so. Despite that, proud Bitcoiner, who's not a Bitcoiner at all, is still not losing hope. Quote, Ethermine, because they mined the block my transaction was part of, and it's their goodwill if they want to return this or not, they added. Doesn't make any sense. Well, whatever. The firm's parent company, Bitfly, faced a similar conundrum earlier this year when someone paid over $2.6 million in ETH as part of transaction fees in a block mined by Ethermine. However, Bitfly pocketed the money after holding the funds for four days and stated any similar issues in the future will not be subject to any investigation or refund. Looks like being one's own bank does come with much greater responsibility. Yeah, no kidding. But one thing that I don't do with my bank <clears throat> is go over to a shitcoin casino that operates very much like a worthless machine with lots of moving parts and use it to farm tokens to farm other tokens so I can swap those tokens to farm some fruit, which apparently I can then turn into vegetables and then apparently eat with chopsticks. Because that's literally what's going on there. There's no value. There's no value in DeFi as far as that shit's concerned because it's just providing liquidity to a bunch of other degenerate gamblers. Yes, some degenerate gamblers that do this make money. But you got to be like Johnny on the spot, really freaking good at doing it. Otherwise, you're just all you're doing is playing in a casino with a whole bunch of sharks, and they're going to gobble your ass up eventually. Even the good ones are going to go down. I'm I'm serious, but you know, hey, if you want to play in that in that world, <clears throat> be my guest, man. But Iran is also in the news again, although. This is pretty much an extension of the same story that I was talking about uh, on one of the last shows uh, about <clears throat> Iran's central bank becoming intensely interested in having Iranian mi or Iranian miners mine Bitcoin for them. So we'll get into that. Late last month, Iran Daily, the official newspaper of the country's government, reported that the administration had amended its cryptocurrency legislation to make digital assets exclusively used for funding imports at a time of increased pressure on the country's normal use of hard currencies. In practice, this means that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that are mined officially under government oversight will have to be supplied directly to the Central Bank of Iran, or the CBI, within an authorized limit based partially on the amount of subsidized energy that the miner uses. Quote, The miners are supposed to supply the original cryptocurrency directly and within the authorized limit to the channels introduced by the CBI <clears throat> per Iran Daily. The report did not clarify how the CBI would be buying the cryptocurrency or at what rate, but it is likely that the government will be buying Bitcoin at lower than market prices. This latest update to Iran's policies is a key aspect of what has become the world's most interesting cryptocurrency landscapes. And here's a bullet point list of those landscapes. Last year, Iran legalized cryptocurrency mining and instituted heavy-handed regulations to control the practice. With access to oil reserves and relatively cheap electricity, Iran can offer heavily subsidized power to miners and offset a bulk of the cost of mining cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin for firms that play by their rules. 
Alternatives to fiat currencies like the USD are attractive to the powers in Iran, as economic sanctions from the United States and other countries largely bar it from transacting with the world's reserve fiat currency, that would be the U.S. dollar. As Iran's real suffers from hyperinflation, its people are seeking an alternative store of value. So you got those four things all in play all together. <clears throat> to get a cheap or clearer picture of what the latest developments mean for Bitcoin in Iran, I reached out to Zia Sadr, a Bitcoiner who lives in Tehran and has never left the country because the government won't give him a passport. <laughs> wow. I also spoke with Omid Alavi, the CEO of Vera Miner, who holds a mining license and operates a legal mining farm in Iran. Because the latest amendment forces regulators or regulated miners to furnish their BTC to the central bank, much of the Bitcoin community speculated that the country is building up a Bitcoin reserve. Bitcoin would be a powerful tool to allow it to opt out of its failing fiat currency and circumvent international sanctions, but both Alavi and Sauter rejected that notion, quote, by no means is the government interested in acquiring Bitcoin, and this approach is not limited to Iran. Alavi said, most of the world's central banks are not interested in accepting Bitcoin's risks and fluctuations, end quote. Not for very much longer, in my opinion. <clears throat> Sauter echoed that take while underscoring the fact that he doesn't have any insider knowledge into the CBI's actual plans. Quote, I don't think the central bank will touch Bitcoin in any way. Bullshit. The system will only provide rates and stuff and the Bitcoin will be transferred from sender to receiver directly. End quote. Sauter speculated that the government will establish a system for cryptocurrency management <clears throat> that is similar to its Forex management system known as the NIMA. CBI controls the NIMA exchange rate and facilitates the exchange of foreign currencies, but does not build up a reserve of foreign currencies through it. Sauter noted that the latest amendment could solve a problem for regulated Bitcoin miners in the country who face challenges from the government when they try to sell the BTC they receive in rewards, rather than seeing it as a limitation because they have to sell their Bitcoin to the government for funding imports. He suggested it was a benefit because they now had a clear avenue for selling cryptocurrency in an approved way. However, this would not apply to the bulk of Bitcoin miners operating in Iran, and it may not have much impact overall. Quote, most miners don't do official and regulated mining operations, so it may not concern most miners, Sauter said. Some of the very few miners who are trying to do their mining business officially and in a completely regulated way, they may need this new rule. End quote. Alavi, on the other hand, expects the latest amendments to dissuade cryptocurrency mining operations in the country, quote, due to the high price of electricity and gas for the extraction of cryptocurrencies in Iran. The result of changing this decree will be the reduction of Bitcoin production in Iran because no miner <clears throat> is interested in providing his Bitcoin to the government at this rate, end quote. Alavi added that the Bitcoin mining industry in Iran is very low and limited, <clears throat> reporting that there are only 14 legal mining centers in the country, despite feeling that the government itself is not interested in, in accruing Bitcoin and that the legal mining industry is small. Sauter is optimistic about the growth of Bitcoin among everyday Iranians. He pointed to the fundamental economic problems in the country as the primary drivers, noting that smartphones can cost Iranians eight or nine months of a salary. He shared anecdotal evidence that more people are using Bitcoin to send remittances to family members in Iran and to store their value, diverting from more traditional stores like gold, which can make them the targets of criminals. Yes, it can. Quote, 
regarding income and revenue. You're better off with Bitcoin than fiat currency here in Iran, and people are understanding this now. I'm predicting that Bitcoin is going to take a much bigger share of such economic actions with regard to inflation. People have no other way but Bitcoin, Sauter said. <clears throat> However, Sauter noted that he does not see an official Bitcoin industry in the country and that the exchanges and mining businesses that do exist are better described as individuals who have opted for the safe haven rather than a formal group. This outlook seems reinforced by the government's re recent regulations, which simultaneously formalize the production and subsi subsidization of cryptocurrencies, but also limit their use with highly restricted oversight. This dynamic seems to have choked out any flourishing Bitcoin industry that might have sprung up in an area so ripe for adoption rather than encourage it. To date, the Iranian government ha <clears throat> has not shown any practical interest in supporting the crypto mining industry and has approved only one or two weak re resolutions, most of which were propaganda, Alavi explained. Quote, in general, <clears throat> the cost of Bitcoin mining in Iran is very high and has no economic justification. Currently, the volume of mined Bitcoin is so low that it cannot meet the foreign exchange needs of a factory. So this is Peter Chihuahua, and he's writing this for Bitcoin Magazine. And it's hard to tell, honestly, it's hard to tell what this is. I mean, you know, for his, you know, his own part, Peter's just, hey, he's just reporting on, on what people are telling him. But I'm thinking about Alavi and this, uh, oh, who was this guy, Solder, Solder dude, and what they're saying, and should they be trusted? And there's no way to know. I mean, the, the way, the, the, they're painting a picture of it's no big deal. That's what the picture being painted for me says, that, or at least that's what it's telling me. I think it's a much bigger deal than these two gentlemen are leading on. Um, I, so I don't know what, what their, you know, what their bent is on this, but, you know, one thing is for certain, Iran, given the proper infrastructure, has uh, no, pretty much no limits on how much electricity they, that, that they would be able to produce. Said electricity going to mining would also power cooling facilities and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of infrastructure that goes in lockstep with mining Bitcoin. They literally have, I mean, they, all they really have to do if they can get a hold of it is to build power plants and game on. So I, I'm not really certain, especially with these four landscapes that they were talking about, the uh, legalized cryptocurrency mining and regulations huge access to massive oil reserves and cheap electricity if they can build the power plants. Um, they need alternatives to fiat like the USD and their, their own currency is already in the shitter. I mean, you put all that stuff together and all of a sudden I'm looking at what Sauter is, you know, Sauter and Alavi are saying as kind of complete bullshit. So you gotta, when you read this kind of stuff, you, you gotta, you gotta parse it out for yourself. I think the Iranian deal on cryptocurrency mining, especially in Bitcoin, is going to be a lot bigger than we think. Uh, but we're going to have to see. But in the meantime, Jeff Benson's going to tell us about $955 million of Bitcoin that hackers have been after for a long time have just moved. This was written on November the 3rd. It's for Decrypt.co. A Bitcoin wallet containing 69000 God, 69,370 Bitcoin or 955 million just moved its holdings out of, the, out of a wallet. The wallet, which goes by the easy to remember address of, and then they give a Bitcoin address, you know, wallet address, which are not easy to remember. Okay, so I'll give you the first five. 
1HQ3GO. Okay, the first six. <clears throat> That's the first uh, first six of the this wallet is, or rather was, the fourth largest Bitcoin wallet in terms of holdings. The fourth largest Bitcoin wallet. Keep. We're talking about the fourth largest wallet ever, right? Or at least at, at right now, anyway. The coins have been sitting in the wallet since April of 2015, when the price of Bitcoin was in the mid $200 range. Today, a single Bitcoin is worth around $13,800. The holdings predate the Bitcoin Cash hard fork, meaning the address <laughs> the address owner was also entitled to 69,370 BCH worth a cool 16.8 million dollars. It was the eighth largest Bitcoin Cash wallet <clears throat> until those holding were moved today as well. Oh, that may explain what's going on with the price. The owner of the address is unknown, but hackers have been trying to get into the wallet for years using a file that purportedly held its private keys. Unfortunately for them, the password and file type made it difficult to access. No one had managed to do so in years. Looks like somebody figured it out or its owner wised up and moved the coins to a wallet that isn't being traded around on the dark web. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting situation (coughs) considering we don't know if it's the rightful owner and you never will or you, you you don't know if it's hackers and you never will. I mean, unless they make a statement and, and otherwise, you know, somehow prove it in either event. I mean, BCH is printing like continual all-time lows since uh, this one came out, like what, two days ago. Over the la- I mean, well, clearly it's been printing <laughs> BCH or B- Bitcoin Cash has been printing all-time lows against uh, actual Bitcoin for, you know, well, forever. But uh, sometimes it has a little dead cap bounce, but over the last two days... It's one all-time low after another all-time low after another all-time low. Somebody really should probably go check on Jihan Wu and Roger Ver, two people that could have been titans in the industry, had they kept their shit together. If you had just kept, if you had kept your your hubris and your ego in your back pocket, gentlemen, you would have been titans in the industry, and you would have never had to worry about anything else. But you have decided that shit coinery was the way to go, and you're getting your ass handed back to you for it. Do not trade shit coins. Don't, I mean, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing to believe in when it comes to BCH or BSV or any of this other crap. I mean, it's just, it's printing an all time low all the time. It makes me wonder if the people that were in control of this wallet decided to move it out and then they just started selling the living shit out of BCH directly against BTC because I mean 69,000 is enough coins to to dramatically move, you know, move a market at this point. So we'll have to wait and see and we may not know anything ever about it again at all. <clears throat> but FTX's prediction market mirrors 538's model. That's what they're saying or Jeff Benson is for decrypt.co. He wrote that this one this morning. Uh Let's see here. There have been plenty of there has been plenty of abuse hurled at Nate Silver in the 538 election forecast model he helped create. But at the moment, it gives similar odds for the 2020 presidential election as cryptocurrency-based prediction markets. As of 1:15 a.m. Eastern, FTX's presidential election market, which has over 8.6 million dollars in trading volume, puts the price of shares in a Trump victory at 11 cents. Catnip, built on Augur, is selling Trump tokens at between 14 and 15 cents. 
However, <clears throat> poly market is relatively bullish at 18 cents for the sitting president. When adjusted for states that have already been called by NBC News, 538's model currently sits somewhere in the middle. It gives Trump a 12% chance of winning, just two percentage points higher of its final prediction or, or pre-election projection of 10%. <clears throat> Many cryptocurrency lovers are interested in prediction markets because they are an example of free markets at work. On the other hand, they rely on betters with disposable income. On the other, betters have an inbuilt incentive to get it right. Thus, there's an ongoing tension about whether prediction markets and cryptocurrency-based prediction markets, which are relatively young, untested, and low on liquidity, can outperform sophisticated, which isn't to say correct, but forecasting models, which use algorithms to factor in polling results and other variables. Vitalik Buterin, co-creator of Ethereum, called the contest in favor of crypto prediction markets last night as Americans went to bed, not knowing who would be their next president yet one more time. Uh, Vitalik, here's a tweet from Vitalik. It says, regardless of who wins from here, I definitely think that the prediction markets have proved proven themselves more accurate than the polls slash models this time around. At that point, Democrats and Republicans had each taken terms, turns freaking out. Libertarians were suffering or stuffing their faces with popcorn as influential polls weren't accurate in some states. But in fact, only one thing had really changed. Florida, which 538 gave Biden a 69% chance of winning, went to Trump instead, a mild to moderate surprise. 538's uh, other missed calls so far projected today for Trump is Maine's second district. <clears throat> that early Trump victory in Florida shook better's confidence in a Biden victory and established a new narrative for an election that didn't need any more narratives. When adjusted for that Biden setback, the 538 model dropped Biden's chances to 66%, but betters on poly market and FTX flipped the market, suddenly pricing Trump shares at 74 cents a pop before gradually coming back down to their current levels. In other words, inputs on cryptocurrency prediction markets were very sensitive to new inputs. For one thing, with relatively low liquidity, whales can move the market with a single bet. For another, while there is the presumption that bettors have accounted for all inputs, there's no guarantee that they're particularly knowledgeable about the intricacies of hundreds of local election processes and vote counting procedures, although maybe they will be after this election. They could be over. They could have overreacted until, of course, other betters reacted to that overreaction by buying low on Biden. Indeed, some betters might have been looking at preliminary vote counts in places like North Carolina and Georgia, which showed considerable early advantages for Trump, but have narrowed as votes from blue-leaning areas are counted. As it stands, <clears throat> there's still plenty in play. The election currently hinges on results from six states with Biden stuck on 253 electoral votes and Trump at 214, both unofficial counts based on projections from NBC. Each still has a path to 270 through a combination of these states, Alaska, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, although I did hear that Pennsylvania was called by the Trump team last night uh, for themselves, but who knows what the hell's going on with this shit show. It's almost worth it, worse than Ethereum. 538's final forecast gave a higher probability to Biden in each of the outstanding states mentioned except Alaska. Therefore, there's still plenty of time for Silver and company to look really, really wrong and for savvy prediction market bettors to be rewarded for <clears throat> reacting early and decisively. But Silver's team could equally end up going 49 
to 51 until each vote is counted. It's too early to run an autopsy on whether prediction markets outperformed models and figure out whatever the hell is going on with the polls. One thing is for certain, though, as the forecast models and prediction markets update their priors, they'll eventually agree 100%. So there, there you go. Now, this is one of the things that I've been questioning ever since I started hearing about prediction markets. You know, and, and this was like, I, I, di- I didn't even know this shit existed until Augur popped up. Augur is one of the predict- early prediction markets, at least in this space. I'm pretty sure that prediction markets have existed before cryptocurrency. That, that seems certain because, you know, humans are going to gamble. I don't know why. It it seems like it seems stupid to me, but hey, you know, humans gonna human, all right? So they're definitely gonna gamble. So I guarantee that there's been, you know, that I'm I was just unaware of of going, you know, and betting for who's gonna be president. I mean, I knew people, you know, bet on NBA and NFL games and shit, but I had I just it was beyond my capacity for for you know any kind of clear thought that somebody would waste their time betting on a Senate race. I mean, dude, if you're that DGN you got bigger problems. So I just didn't even think about it until the, the addition of Augur into the, the, the uh, cryptocurrency space. <clears throat> and then I started asking myself, well, how is this not just gambling? I mean, that was a real, that's been a real question all this time. Is this like, how is this, what is, what is a prediction market like Augur even good for? Except for gambling. It's just other, it's just another, you know, it's just another way to gamble until I started watching the prediction markets, <clears throat> especially FTX. Um, and the fact that I could just pull up like the Biden tokens and the Trump tokens on trading view on my mobile phone. I mean the, the mobile, the mobile app trading view, all I had to do was type in Trump and it was like, Oh, you mean this coin? And sure enough, it was the FTX. And I'm like, I'm just pulling them in. And it was just as easy as I'm pulling in the Dow Jones information and I'm like going, Oh my God. So now I'm looking at these bars and, you know, what, you know, watching RSI and, and all kinds of stuff. And it just dawns on me. I'm like, Jesus, man, it's, it's like these charts, whether it's, you know, the Dow Jones industrial, the S and P, uh, a single stock like Tesla or Apple, any one of the shit coins, uh, I, I mean, Bitcoin, you're looking at this stuff and all of a sudden it's like, it's almost like watching human psychology on display in mass and prediction markets. I think I, I tend not to agree with Vitalik, but I, I'm going to tend to agree with Vitalik on this one. I think prediction markets are going to be a way bigger after this election. And I think it's like, you'll literally be able to bet on anything. I, I guarantee you at one point or another, somebody's going to figure out a way how to hook up the traffic cameras on the traffic lights on some intersection, like a massive well-known intersection in say LA. And that data is going to be streaming to like something like Augur. And in real time, you'll be able to make bets when somebody runs a red light. You'll also be able to make bets if somebody runs a red light and causes an accident. It's going to get down to that kind of granularity where the DGENs are just sitting at home on a toilet and have their freaking, like like in, what was that movie, Idiocracy, sitting on a toilet chair and watching these screens and just making bet after bet after bet after bet after bet after bet. After bet. But it, that said, I will say this, 
it was really fun to watch the price of Bitcoin plotted against the Trump token and the Biden token, because when those things started switching over from where they had been and Trump went high and Biden went really low, you could see the price of Bitcoin kind of sit there and go sideways for a little bit. And then it was like Bitcoiners had had enough and they were like, you know, shit, screw it. Bitcoin for the win. CZ and Vitalik agree that blockchain-based voting is a must. So this is an extension of what we were just talking about with prediction markets, but now we're into actual vote casting. So yeah, uh, I, this one I don't agree with, but since both CEO uh, Shang Peng Zhao and the co-founder of Ethereum, Vitalik, you know, and as much as, you know, I'm at odds with Vitalik, I can't, you know, he's, he's big in the space, so he's probably going to have something to say about it and people are going to listen. So if this is going to happen, we need to know what's going on. <clears throat> Binance's chief executive, CZ, and Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin are in a furious agreement that a new blockchain-based voting system is required to improve the democratic processes in the United States, but it won't be as easy to implement as one might think. Now, let's hold on for a second. Vitalik is Canadian, and CZ, from what I understand, is a Chinese national. Go worry about your own shit, okay? That's where I'm standing right now as we continue on. Responding to prolonged uncertainty over the results of the controversial 2020 U.S. presidential election, CZ, whose business this is none of, tweeted that now is the right time for developers to build a blockchain-based mobile voting app. Oh, joy, so I can be kidnapped with my phone, taken into a van, and told to vote a certain way. Yeah, that's going to be great, CZ. That's going to be great. Binance, Binance's CEO argued that such a voting system would reduce the time taken to confirm the outcome of an election, enhance voters' privacy, and eliminate questions surrounding the validity of the results. CG, CZ urged developers to begin working on such a system, quote, develop something new, or sorry, develop something now and get it approved, obviously the hardest step, and get 300 million plus fully KYC users in four years time. Any capable developer should be willing to do it, quote, for free. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no. Pay me, bitch. Buterin shared the post, although he had added that it wasn't going to be an easy task. Quote, the technical challenges with making a secure cryptographic voting system are significant and often underestimated, but in my opinion, this is directionally 100% correct. End quote. He clarified that a cryptographic approach doesn't necessarily mean a blockchain approach, although he explained it could be used to maximize anti-censorship guarantees. While such systems can resolve... The question of whether every vote has been counted, they aren't all able to solve the problem of determining whether the votes were valid in the first place. Ultimately, Buterin said, it shouldn't be hard to improve the current system. Mm-hmm. Cardano founder Charles Hoskins, oh boy, also believes blockchain voting is the right path to travel. Last week, suggesting that Cardano had been, quote, building the infrastructure for this specific use case. Not everyone is on board, CEO and founder of MyCrypto, Taylor Monahan, countered that with the number of security issues facing current blockchain and cryptocurrency networks, the community is not ready for blockchain democracy. She argued 
Well, we cannot come close to securing fake internet money that tech geeks play with and manipulate for fun, citing initial coin offerings, scams, Ponzi schemes, hacks, and insecure smart contracts among the current hurdles. Quote, it's not because people want money. It's because people want power. Money equals power. Votes equals power. End quote. Last week, Overstock Chief Jonathan Johnson said that Votes, the voting app backed by Overstock subsidiary Medici Ventures, could have solved the problems facing the current election during an earnings call on October the 29th. However, Votes has been criticized for exhibiting security vulnerabilities with MIT security researchers condemning the app's cybersecurity safeguards earlier this year. Last month, Russia appeared to have successfully used a blockchain-based voting system built on waves, recording almost 300,000 votes. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I Clearly, there's problems with all voting systems now that the population is as connected as it is, but also as mobile as it is. And it's just, it's yes, it's a problem. But asking people like a Chinese national, a Canadian national, and that freaking idiot Charles Hoskins to have anything to say about how the Americans will vote in the future is probably the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, honestly, I, you know, again, I mean, I don't have a solution either. But I'm pretty sure that I don't want, you know, foreign nationals telling me and the rest of my countrymen how to run our elections. I'm just saying, okay? So let's let's stop with that and we'll run the number. We got to start with energy. Oil futures are down almost a full point, so or at least West Texas is. That's going to bring the price of West Texas down to $38.79 a barrel. Brent North Sea is similarly down by two quarters of a point and we're, or yeah, no, no, I'm sorry, two thirds of a point and is going to come in at 41 bucks. Natural gas is up to the, or is up 2.1% at $3 and 11 cents is going to get you a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold handily moved above one point to print 1.37% change to the upside it's going to be bought uh, for an ounce at $1,922.20. The silver uh, is up 3.65%. So it's going to be given given away at per, on a per ounce basis at $25. Uh, let's see, what else have we got here? Oh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, index futures. Oh, we're all saved. Again, uh, everything is up. Uh, Dow Futures is up 1.39%. Uh, the S&P Futures is up 1.8%. NASDAQ Futures up 2.5%. And the S&P Mini is up 1.33%. Now let's talk about the pump. Yeah, we got a pump. $14,668 per Bitcoin is what we're ta- looking at right now. And it looks like I'm going to have a wait a minute. That's actually not even the high. Wow, that, that actually may be my low. That is my low. That's my low price. <clears throat> and I don't know who it's out of. But I do have a high over at G. Is it going to be? No, it's going to be Bit Asset at $14,799. There's some arbitrage in play there for you right there. 318,709 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 13,280 transactions on average per hour. 2.5 million BTC have been sent in that period. 
means that 102,329 BTC are being sent on average every hour with the average transaction value being 7.71 BTC and the median transaction value at 0.037 BTC or about $537. Block times are finally nominal. Maybe we've even cleared the cleared mempools around the world. I don't know, but it's nine minutes and 17 seconds. 1.3 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 202.7 BTC have been taken in fees over on the last 24 hours. Hash rate has in, indeed increased by 9.3% in 24 hours, and we're back up around 128.5 exahashes per second. Ethereum at 401, Bcash at 243. Oh my God, that's so hilarious because it's printing all-time lows against Bitcoin, and yet its price against the U.S. dollar is is gaining is gaining, which only means that the U.S. dollar as a shit coin is actually even worse than Bcash. Just let that sink in. Litecoin at 55 and a half. BSV at 152.9, Ethereum Classic at almost five bucks, $4.89. Dogecoin has risen back up to Dogecoin levels of 0.0026. And at 36,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it's going to beat out uh, Ethereum Classic and Bcash, both of which are at 21,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. Although I see no transaction data for BSV. That seems odd because they're usually up around six to seven hundred thousand transactions every single day. But uh, but bitinfocharts.com, which is what I use for this data, has is printing nothing. That's just weird. And I'm also getting transaction average per hour of zero for BSV. So either something is wrong with uh, their harvesting of the ape of. <clears throat> The, maybe there's some API problems going on and somehow or another they're they're just not getting the price. Let me just refresh because that just seems really odd. Nah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm getting like bupkis all the way across the board except for the price of BSV. I don't know how much was sent per hour. I have no average transaction value. I've got no median trans well, I've got 0.0033 BSV as the median transaction value, which is about 50 cents. And apparently their block times are coming in at 12 minutes and 12 seconds, in case you wanted to know. I just thought it was odd that I'm getting like no data on transactions for BSV. That's just bizarre. Clark Moody is looking at a price of $14,850. When Clark Moody runs numbers, he gets the, that the Bitcoin money supply is at 18,534,481.65 BTC. There are 34,000 transactions waiting to clear. And for whatever reason, it's saying that that's going to take 61 blocks to clear. So mempools around the world are not clear. Uh, Lightning Network, we have 1,030 BTC in the Lightning Network. That is worth $15.3 million in liquidity spread across 7,461 nodes with 35,306 channels. Tor capacity has dropped. We are at 50.2%, so it's only dropped a tenth. There are 516.78 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that is running over 2,483 Tor nodes supporting the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's going to do it revival.
Welcome to part two of the morning roundup, otherwise known as the snooze that you can use. It's a Russian hydropower giant is opening a Bitcoin mining farm. The Russians are at it again. This one was written sometime this morning by Anna Betakova for Coindesk.com. Uh, EN Plus decided to enter the crypto space after some experimentation in the field. The firm's chief financial officer, Mikhail Kardikov, told Coindesk via a spokesperson. Three years ago, the company got mining from or mining firm BitRiver as a client selling power to its farm in Bratsk. BitRiver owns the largest mining venue in Russia, hosting about 100 megawatts worth of clients ASICs on a farm near Bratsk hydropower plant in Siberia. The firm is also looking to expand to neighboring regions with the blessing of the local authorities. The partnership with EN Plus will add to the future growth. The public company is a rare example of large mainstream industrial firms entering the crypto world. In this case, it seems like a natural fit. EN Plus owning four major hydropower plants in Russia's Siberia, is producing about 7% of the country's electricity and has resources to become one of the leading players in the market. Industrial powerhouses like EN Plus entering the space might change the current power balance in the global crypto mining industry where China's domination is reportedly diminishing and countries like the United States, Russia, Kazakhstan, and Canada are trying to win larger shares of the market now. EN Plus and BitRiver have partnered to run a new farm with EN Plus holding an 80% stake and BitRiver holding a 20% stake in the joint venture. The venue, not or sorry, the venue located not far from BitRiver's existing site will initially offer 10 megawatts of power for miners who would choose to keep their ASICs there with the potential to expand to 40 megawatts. Quote, our main business is combining the production of electricity and aluminum which allows for turning electricity right into aluminum production instead of selling it via the power grid. Uh, data centers, especially for the mining farms, are an even more attractive way of turning electricity into a product, Kartikov said. He added that EN Plus is happy to see more miners as his client and offering to locate their farms in the direct vicinity of the firm's power plants. Quote, we have venues with electricity infrastructure readily available from smaller ones for 10 to 30 megawatts to larger ones for uh, 100 to 120 megawatts, Kardikov said. According to him, EN Plus is actively lobbying the interests of the crypto industry in Russia and is talking to both the government and market participants in hope of better crypto regulation in the country. Quote, a reasonable regulation of the crypto space will help develop other sectors of the economy as well, such as energy generation and other industries, Kardikov said. As for BitRiver, the partnership will help it grab an even bigger share of the market, BitRiver CEO Igor Runitz told Coindesk, quote, we're planning to grow the capacity of our data center significantly in 2021, and partnering with the largest private hydropower company in the world is important to achieve this goal. The new status for being a partner rather than a client of EN Plus will help reduce costs and build a better relationship with the electricity provider. Apart from the potential scale of the new mining enterprise, EN Plus getting into crypto is interesting for another reason. The company's largest shareholder, Oleg Deripaska, is the second Russian billionaire to publicly dip his toes into crypto and blockchain. Last year, Vladimir Potanin announced a project to tokenize the metals his company's Nor Nickel is producing in Russia. Deripaska was sanctioned by the U.S. in 2018 for being one of the Russian oligarchs 
who are close to the country's authorities and profits from this corrupt system, U.S. Treasury Steven Mnuchin said at the time. Deripaska's companies, including EN Plus, were sanctioned as well. The sanctions on EN Plus were lifted in 2019 when Deripaska's stake in the company was reduced. He now owns 44.95% of the company. According to a U.S. Treasury notice, the company is committed to significantly diminish Deripaska's ownership and sever his control, and now Deripaska can't obtain cash either in return for his shares or from future dividends issued by EN+. Jesus! God, y'all are just freaking horrific individuals, man. God. Wait, the U.S. Treasury knows the company's... Com- I mean, what? Uh, I won't even get into it. Just freaking meddling. In the meantime, the current regulatory trends in Russia are far from optimistic. After President Vladimir Putin signed into law a measure defining crypto as taxable property, the country's Minister of Finance suggested amendments that might prohibit crypto mining in Russia altogether. You know, it's time for the citizenry of the world to stand up against these particular idiots. Pro-Bitcoin candidate wins Wyoming Senate seat. Interesting story to go into right after I make that statement. Cynthia Loomis first brought, uh, first bought Bitcoin back in 2013. She's two years ahead of even me. God, Cointelegraph.com. And Turner Wright is going to tell us about it. This was written sometime yesterday, by the way. <clears throat> Former Republican Congresswoman and current Bitcoin holder Cynthia Loomis has won a seat in the United States Senate against Democratic challenger Merev Ben David. According to a November 4th report from Fortune, Loomis was an early adopter of Bitcoin, having first purchased the cryptocurrency in 2013 thanks to a tip from her son-in-law, Will Cole. Cole has served as the chief product officer at blockchain financial services firm Unchained Capital since December 2019. Quote, Cynthia believes in the philosophy behind Bitcoin, not just that it's a new asset class, said financial firm Avanti's founder and CEO, Caitlin Long. She later tweeted that Loomis wants to defend Bitcoin against federal encroachment. Loomis, who defeated Ben David with 73.1% of the vote, will be acting as a lawmaker over over a state that has been very accepting to crypto-friendly institutions, San Francisco-based Crypto exchange Kraken became the first cryptocurrency business to receive a charter to operate as a bank in the United States uh, through Wyoming's state banking board. Last week, Avanti announced the same board had given its unanimous approval to crypto, uh, a unanimous approval to launch a crypto-friendly bank under the name Avanti Bank and Trust. The University of Wyoming announced on November the 2nd that it would be launching a Center for Blockchain and Digital Innovation, which will allow university students more opportunity to study cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. The Republican Senator's BTC Holdings makes her one of the few representatives in the United States Congress to own cryptocurrency. Some representatives, including Florida Congressman Darren Soto, personally accept contributions in crypto, while the Chamber of Digital Commerce's Political Action Committee launched an initiative in October to donate $50 of BTC to campaigns for every member of Congress as part of its efforts to promote crypto awareness. Loomis served previously as the representative of the sole congressional district for the state of Wyoming from 2009 to 2017. She will be replacing outgoing Republican Senator Mike Enzi. So we got one of our own in there. uh, And this is, this is going to continue. Um, and it won't, con- I don't know if it's going to continue simp- like in, in her case, she kind of wants to do it because she is interested in cryptocurrency clearly and has done this job before. 
in a way. She was a rep before, now she's going to be a senator. But I think more and more people are going to end up in seats of power, that whole Bitcoin, because, you know, it's not going to be long before the, you know, the 20-year-olds of, you know, today and a couple of years ago are going to be 30 and running for uh, power seats. And they're going to have, they're going to have already bought Bitcoin, maybe even before they knew that they wanted to get into politics. It's going to be interesting. And it's going to be interesting when, if and when there's a possibility that the United States um, mounts an attack against Bitcoin and Bitcoin, you know, hodlers and users and miners and node operators and the whole bit of it, it's going to be interesting to see if they mount that attack before, by the time they, you know, do, um, if they wait too long, then there's nobody with an appetite to attack it because they all hold Bitcoin. If you're going to attack something, you better do it before it infects you. That's, just that's the way viruses work. You don't want it. You don't want the virus to get too far ahead before you start fighting it. And at this point, I think the virus is is pretty pretty deep seated. Trezor's failure to support upcoming BCH fork comes under fire. This is hilarious. Again, keep in mind that uh, as of right now, BCH is printing yet another in a long line of all time lows against Bitcoin. Cyrus McNally is going to tell us about this for Cointelegraph.com. Hardware wallet manufacturer Trezor drew criticism after it announced Bitcoin cash holders hoping to receive an airdrop with a hard fork expected for November 15th will have to transfer their coins elsewhere. In a November 5th announcement, Trezor's parent company Satoshi Lab asserted that it will wait for the community to determine which Bitcoin cash implementation will dominate the network moving forward. Quote, Satoshi Labs will not be participating in the fork until a decision is made by the community. If you wish to take part in the fork, you should transfer your BCH balance to another wallet, which is supporting the coin split to make sure you receive any coins resulting from the hard fork. End quote. Once the fork has taken place, Satoshi Labs will monitor whether the forked chain has sufficient support to justify supporting it and will support whichever implementation secures majority support from the community. I don't even know how they're going to measure that. Satoshi Labs will also assess whether the minority chain has sufficient support to justify supporting it. Bcash is set to split into two forks with its next scheduled upgrade on November the 15th. Internal tensions flared in August when Amari Sachet, the lead developer of Bitcoin ABC, the historically dominant implementation of Bitcoin Cash, published an update that would introduce a new Coinbase rule diverting 8% of block reward to a development fund in his control. This is why they always get it wrong. The conflict sparked the the rival implementation Bitcoin Cash Node, or BCHN, which has since secured support for more than 75% of BCH miners. Idiots. Bitcoin ABC's implementation is controversial as it includes an 8% tax on all block rewards going to a wallet controlled by Sachet. Trezor's decision to not support coin splitting during the fork means that Users who hold BitCat or Bitcoin Cash in their hard wallet will need to move them to an exchange or some other wallet to get their BCHN coins into the for- or in the fork. The move left many Trezor users perplexed, with Twitter user John Moriarty saying that he was very disappointed. Well, shit coiner says, wah. Quote, the vast majority of the BCH ecosystem has rejected the IFP being introduced by ABC. 
you'll have to explain why people's coins suddenly dropped in value by over 90% and then deal with switching chains after the fact, end quote. Moriarty's thread was praised on Reddit's RBTC subreddit with user U slash AD1AD calling it pretty embarrassingly unprofessional behavior and calling the company's statement misleading. Other users were also unhappy with the move. <laughs> They're under no obligation they're under no obligation to pet you like a little dog, okay? They, I guarantee you that these people, have, they got tired of having to develop new wallets on the fly during all the Bitcoin forks. And they've all failed. They all suck. None of them do anything that's worthwhile. They spent all these wallet people, that hardware wallet and, and wallet, all wallet makers, whether hardware or just flat-ass digital, they had to move a significant amount of resources to deal with your shitcoin fork. They're not going to do it again. Get that through your head. Stop shitcoining. Stop being poor. In the last seven days, only 1% of all BCH blocks signaled support for Bitcoin ABC, meaning the hash power supporting ABC's proposition has been quite small. Bitcoin Cash Node has received backing from miners since its inception with 75.3% of blocks mined currently signaling for its support. They're going to lose three... Roger's going to lose three quarters of his mining. Jeez, idiot. The Forks November 15th date also signifies the two-year anniversary of the Bitcoin Cash split with Bitcoin SV that occurred during the last Bitcoin Cash hardware or uh, hard fork, an example where both chains of the fork managed to survive after going down irreconcilable path last month. The price of BCH hit fresh lows against BTC with the upcoming fork likely to improve morale among an already fractured community. Oh, sorry. With the upcoming fork unlikely to improve morale among an already fractured community. No, that thing's going to die, dude. Banks prepare to ride a black swan. Woo-hoo-doo-doo-doo. BTC Times' is OB Nwosu is writing this one on November the 3rd. Fast fat finger error goes, it wasn't that big of a deal. But as an illustration of Banks' clandestine approach to Bitcoin, it was worth a million words. In a week dominated by Bitcoin's price surge, I was more interested in an apparent mistake by DBS Bank. On Thursday, Singapore's biggest commercial bank appeared to soft launch trading services for a number of cryptocurrencies, including naturally Bitcoin. But within a few minutes, the page had been taken down and response in, to a slew of media questions, a spokesperson for DBS admitted that the proposed exchange will still was still a work in progress and awaiting regulatory approval. So it's going to happen. Whatever the reason for the premature publication of its crypto services, DBS committed one of the cardinal sins of banking. They showed their hand. <laughs> More than any other kind of business, a bank's biggest asset is its perception among the public. <clears throat> they want to be seen as swans, never appearing panicked or rushed. Instead, poised and gliding over the choppy financial waters, hiding their furious paddling beneath the surface. To maintain this swan-like grace, it's crucial that banks ensure they have, forgive me, all their ducks in a row <laughs> before they launch a new product or service. DBS Bank announced before they were ready, and to some extent that's an embarrassment, but it's unlikely to spook shareholders or customers much since DBS merely announced what a swath of other banks have either already done or what they must be doing. Yeah, no shit. If In order to survive, they better be. <clears throat> Readers will be well aware 
that several major retail and investment banks have recently launched new crypto services or have, like JP Morgan, performed a remarkable reverse ferret on the value of Bitcoin as an investment. But don't take other banks' silence as evidence that they're not preparing their own Bitcoin services. The DBS debacle, if you can call it that, suggests that many banks are paddling as hard as they can towards Bitcoin, but for obvious reasons, <clears throat> prefer to keep their efforts hidden until all the technical and regulatory issues are fully ironed out. And why wouldn't they be preparing? Every week brings fresh news of a bank embracing Bitcoin. Last week, the Swiss arm of Gazprom Bank, Russia's third largest by net assets, announced the launch of institutional Bitcoin services. The week before, it was JP Morgan, which admitted the Bitcoin looked like beating gold as, uh, as an alternative investment. Before that, it was PayPal. Next week, who knows? But even if no one else breaks cover this year, you can bet your bottom Bitcoin the banks are sweating hard on bringing new crypto services to the market. Many will still be in the research phase. Others may have done all the complex work and are just waiting for the most propitious moment to launch. Or propitious, yeah. COVID-19 has been aptly called Bitcoin's black swan event a completely unforeseeable occurrence that has profound impact on currencies and financial markets. The story of 2020 has been one of economic paralysis, worldwide splurges of money printing, stock markets shuddering at each new bout of bad economic news, and yes, Bitcoin's steady climb toward $14,000 and beyond. And as trusted fiat money declines and Bitcoin continues to outperform other investment assets, banks around the world are coming to the realization that the emergence of Bitcoin was the real banking black swan event. It's inconceivable that some of the world's largest banks are not feverishly working out how not to be left in its wake. Don't be fooled by banks' stately, serene behavior in the face of this new financial revolution. There's a hell of a lot of movement just beneath the surface. Here, uh, let's see here. Uh, do I need that one? This is, okay, it seems odd. Here's a tip. If you're feeling a bit full of yourself and overly proud of your professional achievements, just remember that Mozart composed four piano concertos before he was 12. At the same age, Blaise Pascal worked out the interior angles of a triangle, and in 1990, a 12-year-old Sergei Karzhikin became the world's youngest ever chess grandmaster. If that's left you feeling a little deflated, don't worry. Prodigies are rare for a reason, and this makes it all the more important to recognize genius when we see it. Last Friday, another prodigy turned 12. It was on Halloween 2008 during the nightmare on Wall Street known as the Great Recession that an unknown author calling themselves Satoshi Nakamoto published the white paper. Since then, Bitcoin has weathered everything that's been thrown at it. Yeah, that's probably really good to, to remind ourselves. If you bought in and you're, hodl you're, you're, you're hodling or hodling or whatever you pronounce it, um, you very well may be a prodigy yourself. Bitcoin itself is a prodigy. It's only 12 years old too and has completely wreaked havoc over the world in that 12 years and striking at the very heart of the beast. I can vote for whoever the hell I want to vote for and it's not going to make a damn bit of difference. It's been over 48 hours and we still don't have a president in the United States. It's... It, this is ridiculous and it has nothing to, I mean, it has everything to do with voting, but it has nothing to do with voting at the same time. That's not where your enemy is. Your enemy is the world global financial network. That's it. There's nothing else to look at. You break that, you destroy that. And I don't mean destroy it in so far as put everybody like, you know, in a Mad Max situation. Nobody wants that. But these sons of bitches have got to go. 
Okay, they've been doing this shit for for centuries at this point. Uh, starting with the Medici's and I, you know, it's been going on ever since before, you know, even before the 1400s. Okay. It's just whoever has the money gets to basically do whatever the hell that they want. And there's no difference here. You voting for some dipshit versus some other different colored dipshit isn't going to make any difference. The only way that you're going to make any difference is to back a financial system that none of these idiots have a chance to be able to control. You do that and you fix the world. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Sean Cover. That's S-E-A-N-C-O-V-E-R on Twitter who says, the problem with political jokes is that they get elected. Remember what I said about what's important here. It's not the vote. It's not who, it's not whatever, you know, accused rapist you're, you know, wanting to vote for because the other accused rapist is even worse than your accused rapist. Uh, it doesn't matter that these people have like are, are approaching senility at one of the most rapid paces that I've ever heard. It doesn't matter. That's, that's not where, that's not where your enemy lies. They're just as much, they're just as screwed as you are, even though they got a lot more money that hardly ever really just makes it okay. Clearly it'd be better to be better to be rich than to, you know, have fun staying poor. But one thing is for sure. They're, they're just as captured as you are. They're just as much of a slave to the bullshit as you are. They just have a little bit more room to more wiggle room. That's it. Even these guys, even these guys, Biden and Trump should be like basically looking at the bank saying, You've destroyed everything, but the only reason they don't is because of the graft that they get back from the banks by being as close to the banks as they are and have been for years. The only way out of this mess is not going to be electronic voting on the blockchain. It's not going to be mobile app voting on the blockchain. You you, got to buy Bitcoin, and we've got to figure out a way to start using Bitcoin between ourselves, okay? and increase that circle of influence between ourselves and each other. And then as that circle of influence in our own group see, starts to grow, then as like a bubble, it will just kind of envelop more and more and more and more. But we're at, we're, we're at this point right now where it's become evident that no matter who is elected, not a damn thing is going to change after we know. After they sit down and they make their first rollback of whatever it is, the previous president did if if Biden in the, in the case of Biden if Biden wins and he's like already talking about what he's going to roll back from Trump honestly man it's there's nothing we can do about it the only thing that we can do is buy bitcoin hold bitcoin use bitcoin figure out new ways to implement bitcoin and figure out new ways to market bitcoin to the rest of the world so that they too can join us in a worldwide revolution That's going to do it for me, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.